Sound design. The biggest mistake that I see people doing is to approach the problem as one big massive entity. I think that people just kind of jump to the to the to the whole thing without any like logical sense. Sound design. Sound design live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the home of the world's best online training and sound system tuning that you can do at your own pace from anywhere in the world. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by sound engineer and developer of the Sound Bullet, David Scortecha. How did I do? Yeah, that was like perfect pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> like 97%. <laughs> So Dave, I definitely want to talk to you about the sound bullet and troubleshooting signal flow. But first of all, what is maybe the most played song in your personal music library? Recently, I've been listening a lot to um, John Hopkins. But then apart from that, um, Unknown Mortar Orchestra has been played quite quite a lot all right Dave so how did you get your first job in audio like your first paying gig um well it wasn't really paid I suppose uh, it was maybe paid uh, via means of beer probably but um Basically, my my, um, my my brother used to play in a in a, in a ska band, um, and I just kind of so happened to be there and be the one that kind of knew about electronics and stuff. Um, so I, yeah, like it was you know like it was actually quite funny because um, it maybe took me about fifteen minutes to figure out how to make a you know like a kick drum sound like the ones that I would have thought kick drum sound like, uh-huh. uh, and it was really funny because I just put all of the you know, you know, like the EQ knobs in a you know in a random way, and then eventually, like, it kind of starts to sound like a, <laughs> it, it kind of start to sound like instead of like, you know, yeah. Um, so yeah, like maybe that was my, my my like very first gig, and everything was quite random, as you might as you might guess. But um, sure, you yeah, were yeah. just guessing at everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I knew I knew that everything had a different channel and stuff like that, uh, and you know, like I was playing music uh, then, so I kind of I kind of like. Yeah, fig- uh, figured out how things got connected up together but like in terms of gain structure and EQ and everything uh, it was just like a big guess you know um, so yeah like it was fun and then like I, I remember that the, the the drummer who at the time used to be my um, drum teacher he, he told me like you know David this is you know this is what you, you, you're actually supposed to do this is what you're meant to to do uh, <laughs> and then I suppose that that's uh, yeah like that that's how I started eventually I started to get into like small venues and like uh, get taught by really 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 good people um, and you know like a lot of national bands would so how, how did that happen how did you go from just helping your brother ska band out and this was growing up in italy right yeah 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 i was like 16 cool. i think i have this experience that it's like every city or every country in europe has their own like local really good reggae bands like i think my favorite <laughs> reggae band is from Prague. Is it just that Europeans love reggae or is that everywhere in the world there's like local really good reggae bands? 
I kind of always think that it's to do with the weather. Because, you know, like, you know, <laughs> with, you know, the weather is like, in, well, especially like in, in Italy or, you know, south of France, it's very, very good. And it must give a lot of people a lot of happiness. Uh, reggae, is quite, it's quite, reggae is quite a happy genre. Okay, so back to your story. Uh, you were helping your brother Scott Band out. And then how did that turn into work at venues for you? always felt really attracted to that side of of the like entertainment in a way it, it just it just all kind of happened automatically but uh you know like i, I still had to kind of w- sure, work really hard attracted to it yeah, yeah you know like mm-hmm. i still had to kind of push really hard and um you know like the, the 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 very first gig i was working at it was my mom that would actually drop me off at the, at the venue and the the show would actually start at like half midnight and it would finish at something like half three because that, 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 that's kind of how they... This is another thing that I want to say about shows in Europe is that I think people don't know is that when you have a house gig, you may be showing up at like 10 p.m. for a show that starts at midnight. Yeah. Like yeah. that's your life. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially in uh, Perugia, which is the place where I'm from. Like the, the, the venues are all outside of the city. So, so people still need to travel. So people will go on a Saturday night, they'll go for dinner and then they'll go and get some drinks with people, and then like somebody who who hasn't drunk would need to drive the car uh, and get <laughs> and get everyone to the venue. And by the time that everything happens, it, it will be like eleven, half eleven. And in fact, like you know, like the the support bands wouldn't even start until yeah midnight, half midnight. It was quite fun to be honest. Like I, I, I much rather much rather being there than hanging out with my friends, just getting drunk just for no reason. I know a lot of things have happened to you since then and and now you're making this product and you're an entrepreneur um i'm wondering though if looking back on everything that's happened in your career so far if you could maybe pick one thing that happened to you or one decision that you made that really helped you get more of the work that you really love definitely a change in my uh, attitude i found that uh, the the less pressure i put onto you know wanting to get bigger gigs or you know, like wanting to get paid more or like keeping really tight my clients or whatever, like the the more I, I released, you know, the pressure on, on stuff and the more I wanted to kind of have fun uh, and also sort of like find the kind of happiness in things. Because like when, when, you know, it, it's a very common pattern that you like, you, you, you work in a, in a live industry in front of people that are all getting drunk and like everyone is having fun, but you're actually like struggling and you started like at, at eight in the morning and you wouldn't finish until two in the morning. So like it, it can be quite frustrating, but I kind of like switched something in my head, kind of, you know, like this is actually what, what, what I want to do. And, um, you know, like kind of, yeah, I basically kind of started to not care in a way, you know, which doesn't mean that I started to not care about how well the gig went, but, but not, I wouldn't put so much pressure into it. And that seemed to have sort of like uh, revolutionized my, my career in a way. Like I started to get so many more offers and a lot of like, you know, much better gigs. And, um, you know, I started to like, you know, because I had this attitude, I started to socialize with bands more. I started to be more open, more chatty. And then bands would like come back to me and say like, you know, do you want to mix our band on Saturday? You know, like that was really good, David, you know, do you want to do this again? And, you know, so it's kind of like it works both ways, but obviously because I opened up to it, uh, I kind of like attracted uh, more of it. So that's, um, yeah, like that, 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 that's definitely been a one change of attitude that really made my, my career much better. And that was maybe like four years ago or something. This mindset shift that happened that helped you not, not only enjoy your work more, but also, you know, people could kind of sense that in you and were attracted to it. 
but you don't remember how that happened or if there was like an event that was just like really upsetting and like changed your mind? I'm Italian and uh, I live in Scotland, in Glasgow. Um, and I think I was really struggling with being there, with being in the city. Like stuff wasn't really doing it for me. Like the weather wasn't great. I wasn't really in, a, in an amazing path. I thought, I thought it was like worth much, much better than that. Um, so I, I sort of like decided that, you know, like I was going to leave the place and, you know, like I, I always had that thought in the, in, in the back of my head, but never really acted on it. And then when I, when that became a plan, when I was like, you know, well, you know, I'm going to leave in like four months. So, you know, if, if stuff goes wrong, you know, like I don't, I don't, I don't really care. It's actually then that stuff started to, to go really, really well. And, and it's not just oh, in my career wow. also like. I started to like tight relationships with like local people, which kind of seem to be quite hard uh, in general. So like everything kind of started to go much better. I've experienced the same thing that you have, which is that when you're about to move, then you kind of release kind of, uh, you don't realize that you were grasping so hard to some of these things, like some of these relationships or like you're pushing for this thing to happen and then all of a sudden, when you stop pushing, somehow it just happens or relationships become easier because you're, you stop trying to sort of make things happen and then you're just sort of enjoying yourself. And it's so funny. I'm sure other people listening have experienced the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have my own little theory about it and it's just like a, a lot of it is about sort of like body communication and stuff because if you have so much pressure on wanting to be good you know like if you want to really want to have friends or if you really want to like attract more work like the you know the actual tension that you feel will express in like something like micro muscular movement on your face or something and people can actually you know people can can actually understand why but they can feel that there's a tension and therefore that you know they might avoid the you know like me or something like that you know so I think that um, like to me, that's kind of how it works to me. Like, at least that's one piece of the puzzle for sure. There's a lot of communication that goes on between people. That's not just the words they say. Right. And it's kind of like if you're going into a meeting or a relationship or going into work with some sort of an agenda, like this is the thing I need to get out of this or Dave, I need to get something from you during this thing. Like, even if you don't say that it can sort of like affect the entire conversation or the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To troubleshooting signal flow. So you've worked with a lot of people over the years. You've done a lot of troubleshooting of systems like, or maybe what were some of the first things that you did wrong? So let's just first talk about like some, some don'ts when it comes to troubleshooting. The biggest mistake that I see people doing is to approach the problem as one big massive entity so to not like dissect that um, what could be causing a problem could be one of the elements within the chain you know like we know you know within the chain links that get from the source to the to the receiver or you know whichever chain we're, we're talking about I think that people seem to sort of like just kind of jump to the to the to the whole thing without any like logical sense we know without like um you know understanding where the signal gets generated and what it goes through and where where where, where it end, ends up and what it needs like say like phantom power or like so so they, they, they all kind of like hack the whole path without really thinking right okay let's just like narrow down what what could actually be the problem 
And I, 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 to, to, to be honest, I find that like I, I can really like empathize that because like um, uh, most of the times when when a problem occurs, that there's always like there's, there's always going to be a time constraint. You know, that it's you know, like it's never going to be a a chilled like troubleshooting. You know, unless you really have like a setup day where you know you can like have a, have a look at that. But you know, even then, you know, like you might be working with other colleagues and. You might feel that they've got pressure on you to like find out what the problem is because it was you that set the thing up. So, so you know, like, like that that pressure always plays a, a big role. So I always find that it's, it's good to sort of like take a deep, a deep breath and just analyze piece <laughs> by piece. <laughs> yeah, um, and sort of like get you know as you uh, you know as you actually walk to the problem, just have a think through of of how that chain of elements is actually composed because when, when when a problem arises like you you know maybe like your head goes into a big fog and you can't really you know you, you know you, you you might just like blame that it's a jack cable or that is you know the phantom power wasn't turned on whereas like if you just like analyze each element and sort of w walk your way through it um, then you're like I'm sure that you would that you would find the what what, what the cause is because if you if you don't do it that way, you you like you might be lucky, but I've seen most cases that that you aren't really that lucky, um, <laughs> and then and then you actually take more time than analyzing each element. You know, unless unless what's causing the problem is quite obvious, like if you hear like a particular type of crack, uh, you know, like a crackle going on in um, you know, like an an acoustic guitar. It is very likely that it's the jack cable that is like is not working properly, or if you you know if you've got like a radio microphone, and you hear that it's going like, you know, kind of thing, then you know you 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 know you've got a really good guess that it's to do with the radio frequencies and it's not to do with the mm -hmm. capture, you know. Um, so yeah, I suppose it's you know obviously it's to do with experience as well and what your ears are trained to or. Just what the history of things, you know, how things have broken down in the past can help you with that. But always analyze element by element. Uh, I think that's the, you know, if, if you just get into the habit of doing that, if you practice on it, you'd be so much faster in uh, uh, troubleshooting whatever's wrong. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And as you're talking, I'm thinking of a, a common situation, which is something like uh, solving feedback. And it's this balance, as you mentioned, right? So if you are in the middle of the show and you need to solve microphone feedback as quickly as possible, you're going to have like a big combat audio solution that's coarse and global. Imagine like a filter that goes down on like every output everywhere because you just need to solve the problem. And that's like yep. the worst thing. But ideally, you want like a very fine grained local solution that solves the one problem at the point where it's happening. If the issue is very show critical, like just just use the spare, you know, <laughs> you know, if, if it's like if there's like the one singer on the theater and the microphone goes down, like you know, you don't want to go on stage during the the, the performance and and you know, like can check the cable and going into the park, you know, you just want to go for the for, for the solution. But you know, like if if something if something is wrong with you know with like somebody's pedalboard in in a sound check where there's only one band that that that, that is sound checking. Uh, you know, like what what uh, what bands would would tend to do is to just replace like the whole thing. You know, they'll probably sort of like you know let, let, let's just change the jack. We'll 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 uh, avoid this pedal. We'll, you know, we'll just bypass this pedal. We'll change the power supply. So you know, they, they'll change a, a bunch of things all together without actually like learning what 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 it, what caused the problem. It's because they just want to get going, even if they 
potentially would have like one hour to you know to work on this thing. So if that if that occasion would would occur to me, I would still want to go through the process of analyzing each element, even you know even if if it's not necessary for that um, for that scenario, just because then I I can get into the the habit of like an, an, an analyzing things uh, in a you know in a in a, in a, in a thorough way, so that the, the next time that happens in a rush, I'll actually be able to 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 troubleshoot it faster. This is something that like a, a sound engineer friend of mine like told me once because I, I, I was running cables in a in a place that you know like that would have been quite obscure. So if cables were like all um, um, kinky and twisty, like you know, like it wouldn't have no matter because it was like inside a pit. But then like my, my my friend just you know just said, well, see if you just un like uh, uncoil them like nice and neat. At least you can get ready. You know, at least you can learn how to do it faster for a gig where you really want the cables to be run in a very very neat way. Because they actually, they could actually cause like um, a trip ha uh, hazard. So I always always try to um, apply that sort of attitude and like into you know like into my work. Like even you know even if something is not really needed for that particular time, I would still want to do it so that I can practice. And I I, I can actually give you a, a really good example. Like every time that the that the culprit has been a, an XLR cable, uh, you know when when the problem was actually the XLR, then maybe like pin one was like uh, disconnected or like there, there was something wrong in it. What I would always do is to replace the XLR cable and then chuck the, the broken XLR into the cable trunk and just mark it up and then somebody in the warehouse would, would, would actually have a look at it. So what I got into the habit of doing is that if, if I do have that one minute, I'll, I'll grab my cable tester, which in this case is the uh, sound bullet, by the way, and I would analyze what pin was broken. That way I can connect the sound, you know, the wrong sound that I was hearing or like the, the fact that phantom power wasn't getting conveyed to the microphone to an actual problem. So I can actually connect the two dots and be, you know, oh, like pin one was, was disconnected and that SM58 sounded like it was having a big buzz or like uh, the microphone sounded a lot quieter. Oh, it was actually pin three that was disconnected in, in the wire, you know, so if I... This this is this is stuff that I sort of like do even after that the problem has been fixed, uh, you know, just so I can get into the habit of recognizing how something is supposed to sound, to what issue, if that makes sense. Okay, so you mentioned the sound bullet. So so let's talk about it. Walk us through some of the features of the sound bullet. So it's like as soon as you turn on the sound bullet, the the main functions uh, start to operate, which is like the you know the pink noise generator or the one kilohertz tone. And also what I call the the listener function, which is what allows you to tap into uh, an output line, say that comes out of a, a system processor, like you know a Galileo, or or just you know out of out of um, a mixing desk. Uh, so so basically those functions sort of like start as soon as you turn on the device, so you don't need to press any button to get to them. To to activate the cable tester, you need to press and hold the button. The cable test is pretty straightforward. You just connect either ends of an XLR into the either ends of the sound bullet, uh, and then you press the button, which will scroll through the the pins. Uh, and if you see both lights uh, coming up, that means that the cable is healthy, um, and you can like you can sustain the test on one pin so that you can still wiggle the cable. Because what what I what I found is that uh, a lot of people would cable uh, would would will. Um, continuity test XLR cables and just leave the cable still. Uh, whereas like uh, you, you, you probably find that a lot of the times that is not really, um, you know, the, the actual 
the actual wire in the back of the connector might be just about to get detached and then if you right exactly yeah, like yeah. you don't you want it you want it to be sustaining some sort of movement or trauma when you're testing it because you want to find out before it breaks not after it breaks <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah another function that i find really useful is the signal generator which basically uh -huh. means that the sound bullet is capable of generating uh, either pink noise or a, a one kilohertz tone um, and that can either be routed to a balanced xlr or to an unbalanced uh, jack you know like a, a quarter inch jack and together with uh, the signal being sent out of the Mayo XLR, um, a, a phantom power test can is also carried out at, at the same time. So basically, if you insert the sound bullet into, well, say, like an, an input channel, say like the, the kick drum in, the phantom power is applied uh, by the desk and the cable and all of the cabling infrastructure that the, the start from the desk and go to the, you know, to the stage box and the sub snake. Uh, you know, so if everything is healthy, then you would expect that both uh, LEDs would uh, turn on. Um, and what what I actually found is that uh, not a lot of the, like uh, not a lot of people actually know how phantom power is um, is is applied onto a microphone. And this is something. Wait, that maybe I've, I've, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how is it applied? Just you know, just imagine that you have two batteries, right? You know, two uh, batteries that provide 48 volts. And you connect both negative pins of the batteries to pin one of the XLR. One positive uh, pin of the battery will go to pin two of the XLR, and the other positive of the of the other battery will go to to pin three. So essentially, phantom power is actually two DC supplies that are applied simultaneously to pin two and three. The reason it's called phantom is because it's not actually. Uh, you know, it won't damage your, your, your microphone because in most cases the, the signal is transferred back to the, to the, you know, to the mixing console on pin two and three. Mm -hmm. So effectively you, you, you don't actually have any uh, potential difference, you know, which is like a voltage across pin two and three because they are both at 48 volts. And it's very crucial that both of the power supplies will be uh, identical because if one is like 47 volts and the other one is 48 volts, then you would actually effectively have one volt across pin two and three, which, you know, it's not, you know, it's not actually much, but, you know, it could, you know, eventually that's going to pop your, you know, your, your capture of your 58 out, you know. So basically, if, if only one of the two LEDs like lights up, it means that uh, the one that's not lit up will be the you know the you know the actual wire that is disconnected somewhere along the cable and you know and th this is something i've actually found in some like stage boxes um and because i did the test uh, during the the you know the 40 way uh, sorry the 48 way uh, line check prior to the band turning up then you know i knew uh, not to use that channel basically because if i if i just waited until the band arrives then you know everything is a bit more rushy and you, you don't want to be mm -hmm. um you know juggling cables about one thing that i notice is a little bit different about the sound bullet compared to some other test boxes that i've looked at is that it has an attenuator for the signal generator so i think it has like three different levels right and are those all relative to Line level, so line level is the loudest. So I basically used different versions of the sound bullet on the field, and I sort of like worked out what what would actually be the most usable, 
uh, level at which I would need to generate my, my, my signal. Some, some devices will generate uh, a tone at plus one dBU, which is basically, you know, which is a signal that will essentially give you zero dB on a, on a, on a VU meter. And I, I would find that really dangerous if you connected that into the back of a speaker. Say you're flying, you know, you know like a whole bunch of uh, self-powered speakers and you want to check that the, the XLR loom is working uh, just, just as the PA goes up. Uh, if I had fired like plus four dBU into a box, uh, I'm really sure that people would will hear it. <laughs> and it probably needs no uh, optimization <laughs> required. Uh, essentially, I just went for my, my, my minus 10 dBU, which is which is a sort of like kind of strong signal, but isn't so strong that if you connect that into the back of a say a Meyer Sound mic, uh, that you know they would be so loud that it would be like unbearable. You know, you would still hear it. You you would hear it from from the other side, but it wouldn't blow people's ears off. Um, I decided to go for minus 40 to be the quietest, uh, which which sort of is very close to a mic signal, you know, like a mic level signal. And, and to be honest, it, it works really well. Uh, the, the way the way I, I I worked out the minus 40 was to generate a signal and average what the first LEDs of the input meters will light up uh, with, you know, like the major brands of uh, of of uh, mixing desks. So I tried, you know, the usual Midas Pro 2, Digico, SD series, and I've tried like Aleneath stuff and like Soundcraft. I've, I've tried everything so that at least I could, you know, if I had a, a minus 10 dB, uh, sorry, a minus 40 dBU, at least like a couple of LEDs would actually turn up so that you can oh, actually see so something. If the preamp is all the way down and I set it to minus 40 and plug it into a mic input on one of those consoles, then, uh, you know, at least one of the... Uh, LEDs on the channel strip should light up. Yeah, that's correct. Apart from the fact that I haven't worked that out with the gain all the way down, but I have done that with the gain as you would find it as a, a, a as a factory default. So if you if you opened up a completely uh, start from scratch scene on a on a on a Pro Two, like the gain isn't at, um you know I think the gain is at zero. It's not like a minus six or something like that. So like I would, okay. I, I've, I sort of, I sort of like worked this out. With the gain as it is found on a on a on a default show file, basically, okay, um, cool. which seems it seems to equate to every desk in a way. So, uh, it's like for, for instance, if I plug that into a Digigo console, there's like a signal present uh, uh, LED that, that you know that would turn up, especially on a, I think it was an SD10 that I tried, uh, and uh, yeah, like if I if I if I put it in there, basically, yeah, the, the SP light would just turn on. And at least you can see something instead of having to gain it up. I have used a really, a really great uh, little key thing that is uh, is made by a, a UK company called Flat Keys, and it's called the uh, Ping. But instead of the I, it's got an um, an exclamation mark. Uh, yeah, an, ex yeah. an exclamation mark. Um, and like I, I think that that's been a very invaluable tool that I always had with me. And like in fact, it's, it's the one that, that I still have with me. Uh, but the, the only thing I've found uh, not very useful about it is that the signal will be generated like way too low. So every time I use that to run a to run you know like a line check before I came up with the sound bullet, uh, I would always find that the sound engineers that were behind the boards would, wouldn't actually right away find the signal. So you know that they would maybe panic or you know I can't really hear anything. Uh, okay, so so okay. that they would need to get it up. Um, you know I think that the only good reason about that is that at least you can test your gains. Uh -huh. if, there, if, there's, if there's such a thing. Uh, but yeah, I think that... You yeah, know, you'll hear if there's any noise yeah. in, the, in the line. 
Yeah, yeah. But I think gains work. So. <laughs> um, and my guess is that this doesn't get loud enough to test unpowered, uh, to test uh, passive speakers. So this isn't something that could replace a cab driver, right? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, although that that's, yeah, like that's the sort of like maybe next project. So I would like to do something like that. Um, yeah. But that's a completely different circuitry um yeah and yeah. it would be a different form factor as well i mean the cab driver is really big so that you can plug in like nl4 nl8 and stuff like that i am the the inventor of the sound bullet but almost like the first user you know it, it's just something that i really wanted to have you know so i invested like two years of my life to make because wow. i wanted it so desperately and in fact you know like I, I even had my own little prototypes that didn't even work before just just because i really needed something like that and what I found very like invaluable about it is the fact that it's so small and compact that you know you always have it with you. Like that, that is sort of like that. That that's you know that's one of, one of the main characteristics of it. Um, because I, I I I have had really really great tools in my in my uh, gig bag, but the problem is that they are in the gig bag. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, this is another yeah. this is another uh, way that I think the sound bowl is different than some of the other test boxes that I have. Is that um, the one I have, for example, from DBX is great, but it's the heaviest thing in my bag. And I've talked to other people who just stop t- carrying testers with them because they're just so heavy. And you're taking stuff on planes, like you have to pick and choose what goes into your bag. So what's cool about the sound bowl is that it basically fits in your pocket, right? Basically, from from the start, everything that's been conceived about it was formulated so that it could still fit fit in your pocket. You know, even you know, even the case like it comes with a with a little protect, protective case, like a fabric case. Uh, I've stressed so much about this case being like the smallest thing ever, so that it would take as little footprint apart from the from the one of the sound bullet, and even like the. You know, we, we, we took like weeks to figure out a way to fit the, you know, the quarter inch jack inside so that it would protrude as little as possible so that it wouldn't like, you know, it wouldn't be back in, in your pockets. And also like the, you know, like the volume knob that it's got, uh, we wanted something that's like tapered so that it's like as small as possible, uh, but still you, you, you would need to be able to, um, you know, use it. Tell me how you're using this, the speaker built into the sound bullet then, because I'm curious about that. Absolutely. Uh, so I think that the the the, the speakers is like is one of the you know like the most uh, useful things uh, that I've that I managed to cram in it, uh, and, I, and I, I literally mean cramming in it <laughs> uh, <laughs> because the space isn't really much in there. How big is that little speaker? Three quarters of an inch. It's basically as big uh, as your thumb, right? Yeah, okay. that's tiny. Let, let, okay. Let's just say that the prototype that I had sort of DIY made myself uh, had an, an iPhone speaker, which I had broken off uh, an iPhone. Uh, which seemed to sound like perfect compared to to like other speakers, and and it seemed like the best one was the one from the iPhone five. The iPhone four w- wasn't doing it, and the iPhone you know six and seven like wasn't doing it either. So when when we actually <laughs> effectively when we designed the speaker that is now in the sound bullet, we sort of like tried to emulate the sound of <laughs> of an iPhone five speaker. For instance, if I, um, you know, if I was running uh, in-ear monitoring hardwire lines, uh, you know, like I, uh, you know, like I happened to work with bands that had, you know, like a drummer, and he had his own little mixer, or he had his own little pack, and I had to run like XLR lines to him, and like also, you know, the same goes for like a, a keyboard player. So what what I would essentially do is to generate pink noise by the by the sound desk that I'm using to do monitors. And I'll just kind of quickly, uh, you know, e- either run to to that male end, 
sitting on the <laughs> on the drummer stool and and plug my sound bullet into it, uh, or 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 I might just like send somebody to 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 check it for me, and then yeah, like essentially you just plug the male end of the XLR into the you know into the into the sound bullet and the pink noise that you're generating, or if you're if you're generating uh, one kilohertz tone, uh, you, you know you would be able to hear that uh, nice and clear through the speaker, um, and I find that that's very useful. Because everything in, in our sort of setups is is set up, you know, it's is like made for like inputs, you know. So you know, we have very nice systems for like uh, sub snakes and stage boxes and everything. But when it comes to sending signals back to the stage, you always need to sort of like deploy some sort of like Frankenstein way. So you, you might need to set, uh, you know, sex swap, um, you know, like, um, uh, an input line of the. Of the of the sub snake, uh, you know, from male to female, from female to male, or you mm -hmm. might just need to run a really really long cable, and usually like very very long cables are always used for like kind of shitty jobs, like you know like <laughs> you know like some really like long cable runs, and they always get tugged, so that they're very prone to be damaged. So yeah, like I always find that it's very very worthwhile uh, checking those those lines in, in in particular because they are they are very prone to to be damaged or or perhaps you 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 know you must have you know you, you might have connected stuff in the you know like in the in the in the wrong way. Is there volume knob affect that? I mean what's loud enough to be heard through the speaker? If I connect it just a microphone to the speaker, does anything come out? So if you connect the microphone to the speaker the so the, the sound bullet isn't designed to to amplify that. Which is sort of like it's maybe like next on the list to to implement into the sound bullet, but the reason we've kept it off for the moment is because if you then plug a line signal into the sound bullet effect with a gain that would suffice for a you know for a microphone, then you would like blow up something you know within sure. the you know you know you know either either like the speaker or the the amplifiers within the the the, the circuitry. If that was something that was in place, we need to have some sort of intelligent way to detect if you're a indeed plugging in a microphone or a, or or you know like a line coming out of a of a desk although if you know, like if you you know like the, the sound bullet has a speaker but it's also got headphones outputs so but essentially whatever goes to the speaker will go to your headphones so if oh, you so you could check something on a noisy stage where there's already like yes, people yeah, yeah, doing other yeah. stuff okay so okay, so, so, yeah, so basically yeah the, the the headphones have been put there for for that reason but also to carry out a, a quality test because if you use the speaker on the sound bullet, you effectively you're only carrying out uh, a presence test because the signal, you know, it's just like a little speaker, you know, you can it's not very detailed. Although you probably hear like if it's buzzes, if it's, if it, if there's a buzz, or if it's like extremely quiet compared to what you would have thought. Uh, but yeah, like if you if you if you then wanted to carry out a quality test, so like you know, investigate if the signal kind of sounds good, you know, if the pink noise is full, then you would, you know, you would want to plug in your headphones to, to, you know, if you're, if you're using the sound bullet in a very loud environment, uh, I have equipped, well, we have equipped the sound bullet with, uh, with an input meter. So effectively, if you plug a signal coming out of a desk into the sound bullet, uh, if the, if this signal exceeds uh, minus 25 dBU, I believe, uh, there's a little green light that turns on and that is called the signal and then if the if the signal exceeds plus 10 dBU which indeed is quite loud uh, the peak uh, LED will, 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 will turn on 
Okay. This is this is this is like a little feature that I'll put there in case you're using the sound bullet in a very like loud environment, or if if you can't quite reach, you know, the sound bullet with you know if you can bring the sound bullet to your ears for some reason because the sound bullet can be plugged into a stage box, so you can sure. really like you can you know it's maybe a bit hard to sort of get to it in a way. Yeah, what's interesting so, yeah. about the form of this for people who are just listening to this and haven't seen it yet is that it has. XLRs on each end, so you don't need an extra cable necessarily. You could just shove it into an XLR connector. You don't um, need a cable in between. Everything has been designed so that the sound bullet could fit into space constraints given by, say, like you know, like a, an XLR patch bay. So say, like you know, like the back of a desk. You know, you, you might have a lot of XLRs connected to the back of the desk, so you can. You can extract one uh, one of the XLRs and plug the sound bullet into the input. You know the, the the sides of the sound bullet wouldn't fight with the adjacent connectors. Um, is there another feature we could talk about how to actually use it in the field for doing troubleshooting? My favorite feature ever, since I I seem to have done more monitor gigs than front of house gigs or uh, PA you know um, PA sec gigs, is the jack feature. So. Basically, the, the, the sound bullet is provided with a, a very small jack-to-jack uh, -jack connector. It's basically like a little shaft. You know, it doesn't, you know, it's not interconnected by a cable. It's just like the, the it's just like a shaft that's got two male yeah, jacks it's like on, a, on, yeah, on, it's on a either male end. Yeah, male like turnaround of it, just a TS connector, right? Yeah, TS to TS. Um, mm -hmm. So basically, uh, if I, you know, if I have a really busy stage and I, I need to do a, a, a really quick changeover. Uh, like so, so many times, I'll you know I'll go on stage uh, and you know I can line check each microphone, and that's fine because I can just go to the microphone and tap the mic. But every single time I would turn up to the iBox, there's always this like dilemma going on with like, oh, uh, right. will I will I just <laughs> unplug the back of it? You know, will I just unplug the back of it? And what what if, what if the front of the house guy's got his headphones or or his in ear monitors indeed in his ears? Is he gonna just get a big bang, or? Will I just unplug the XLR and connect a 58 instead? But then that wouldn't really take into account the phantom power. Will I just go and find in my gig bag an, a female uh, XLR to jack and then go and find uh, a 58 from the drawer and connect up? You know, it's always been a bit, a, a bit, a bit, you know, like a bit of a sort of faff about, you know, and it's, sure. it's never been a, a really quick thing. What you can do with a sound bullet and what really, <laughs> what I'm really proud about uh, is the fact that you can just connect the, this like little jack-to-jack uh, -jack into the sound bullet itself, and then you can connect the sound bullet straight into the DI box uh, while generating pink noise. So yeah, like essentially that way you are testing the XLR, the Phantom, which will turn on the DI box if indeed the DI box is active, uh, and also you're testing, you know, like the you know the, the front uh, female jack of the of the DI box, which indeed I've seen. Breaking a lot, you know, like, uh, you know, like a lot of a lot of, a lot of the times, mm -hmm. and I had to do like lots of changeovers when I, where I had like twenty DI boxes and uh, and I, and I did find some of them were patched wrong. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm glad that I had to use the sound bullet for that. Um, so yeah, like I think that that's that's um, that's one of my favorite features. Um, and what do you set the signal level to then on the generator when you're testing a DI box? Uh, I would usually set it. Just this is just like an empirical level, but I would usually set it at uh, minus twenty dBU, because if I had set it up at uh, minus ten dBU, um, usually DI boxes get used 
most commonly maybe for acoustic guitars and you know acoustic guitars will need to get gained up uh, you know unless you're using it for a, for a keyboard obviously but yeah so if I plug the minus 10 dBU it would you know whoever is gonna have his headphones on and the PFL on is gonna jump off the front of the front of our riser uh, and if I use the minus 40 I think it's a bit too much like too but too quiet. So there's some people listening now who are like, great, I want one of these. So you and I talked earlier, and I think we're going to do a giveaway for one of these, right? Yeah, that's correct. I'm happy to do that. Somewhere on the page with this podcast, I'll have a link to the giveaway. Um, We'll run it for, you know, two or three weeks, and then a winner will be drawn at random, and then we'll just uh, send send their email over to Dave, and he'll give you a coupon or something. You'll be able to order it from the site. So if you want yep. to enter that giveaway, look for the link on the page with this podcast. So thank you for that, Dave. I generally just really want people to have this thing. Um, like I want to see it everywhere. <laughs> 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 but, but Because I think it's a very valuable tool. Uh, and yeah, I just, it's like, the, 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 there's nothing better than knowing that, you know, my little creature is, is being used, you know, it's almost like I made some kind of like rock and roll album and people are listening to it, you know, it's uh-huh. the same, same sort of uh, satisfaction uh, and, it, and it's been going really well. Uh, a lot of people really loved it, which is, cool. uh, which has made me feel really happy. As you were talking earlier, I was thinking about fun things you could do with it, like uh, make custom ones that have the switch so that you could switch the generator between one kilohertz tone, pink noise and my favorite song. And then you can, it just plays my favorite song as soon as you switch to it. <laughs> well, see, see to, to be honest, I well, the, the very first prototype that I made myself, uh, it took me about four months to find all of the parts. It's, it's basically like a whole lot of like little PCB boards and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And it took me nine days straight, you know, half eight in the morning to seven in the evening every day to make this like super cramped um, oh my God. prototype. Um, yeah. And the way I was able to generate pink noise, because I'm not, you know, uh, you know, like I have studied electronics in high school, but not, I'm not like a, a some sort of engineer. So the way, the way that I that I would generate pink noise is to actually stick a file of a, a, a pink noise tone into a micro SD card, and fire the micro SD card into a really really tiny like MP3 player, uh, like a very 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 small one, and that's essentially how how you know like how 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 then I would generate the pink noise. But then, because I got carried away, then I started to stick like a lot of songs into this uh, micro SD card. Uh-huh. So I'm currently the only one that's got the the one and only sound bullet that can play songs. Um, but yeah, like unfortunately, that that's not a feature that <laughs> that is available onto the commercial ones. <laughs> that's funny. I'm afraid. No, I think that's perfect. You, the creator of the sound bullet, should have all of the fancy features like being able to play songs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You've done a lot of great things in your career. Um, let's talk about maybe some of the not so great things you've done. Tell us about the biggest or maybe most painful mistake you made on the job and how you recovered. Uh, I was working in a theater. The support band had just finished playing uh, and I was running the stage. I was doing the patch and the monitors. When we were to reset up the, you know, the, the stage for the, you know, for the main act, in this kind of was it was like a jazz festival. Something happened that we weren't told about. Basically, a fire curtain had to be dropped down onto the stage of the theater. And if, uh-huh. if somebody doesn't know what a fire curtain is, it's just like a, a big lead panel that isolates the venue from the from the stage in case yeah, there's really a fire. Yeah, it's really to protect the audience. 
from yeah, yeah, a fire exactly, that yeah. might start. Uh-huh. So, so, so yeah, basically they had some health and safety regulations by which they had to show this fire current. And all of the monitor wedges and uh, and a very sophisticated pedal board for a, for a trumpet player were on the downstage side of the fire curtain. So, you know, like on the, on the front. Uh, and this fire curtain was dropped down and stayed there for, you know, for the whole duration of the, of the changeover. And what the organizer had hoped was that the fire curtain would just go up and the gig will start. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> we changed the drum kit, we changed the bass, cabs, the guitars, there's keyboards added and stuff like that. So we checked everything. But the, the, uh, the only thing that wasn't checked was a, a pedal board that uh, a trumpet player was using. So basically, as the as the fire curtains goes up, and essentially the you know the the, the main act starts, uh, the only thing that wasn't working, uh, guess what was the the, the sax pedal board, uh, the sorry the the trumpet. Um, of course, the one thing board. you didn't test. Yeah, exactly. So so basically, I was left by myself uh, on a very very brightly lit stage uh, and a very very dark audience <laughs> <laughs> to sort of like troubleshoot this issue in the middle uh, of the show. Or while they're Sorry. waiting to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know, like you know, the, 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 there was some like announcement going on saying like, "Hey, this is such and such band." You know, uh-huh. there you go, claps. You know, like the audience claps, and, and there's the fire curtains goes yourself. up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, so basically, <laughs> I, I was. I was yeah. <laughs> it was extremely funny. I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have a refined troubleshooting uh, approach, as we were discussing earlier. Uh, so I, I sort of like I started to have a go at the at the jack uh, patch cables in between the pedals and then I and then I looked at the XLR and then I went back to the state you know I went back to the stage left area and I checked my patch if the patch was correct then I went back to the stage and, I, and then I went back to the to the desk and I checked that the the phantom power was on which was uh, powering up a DI box on stage and then you know it was then where I where I had wished they had something that I could just fire into the input of the of the DI box sure, so we some sort of a noise yeah, yeah. So, so that I can just like, you know, leave it there running because at the time I maybe thought of plugging a 58, but then I would have needed to awkwardly ask the trumpet player to like talk into the, the you know, you know, like the 58 while uh-huh. I go back to the desk and stuff like that. Whereas if I did something like uh, a noise generator, I would have just left it plugged in and I would play a noise. And then that way I would have, I would have narrowed down the fact that whatever was wrong had to definitely do with the you know with you know with the pedal board of the of the musician, which indeed was the case. But okay, so what was yeah, like the pedal board? You know, well, obviously he had taken his pedal board away. So when he put the pedal board back in, some of the settings on his like multi-effects uh, processor didn't quite recall. Uh-huh. So the output routing or something like that, you know, I haven't really investigated that far that far into it. You know, we still had the trumpet because he had like a dry you know, 57 or whatever. Uh, okay. He just didn't have his like miraculous effects that he, <laughs> that he was, <laughs> that, that you really like. It was, it was, it was actually quite crazy effects. To, to be honest, I was very gutted about it. Oh, uh, no. After that scenario, I was like, all right, okay, I'm going to make this thing because I really, I really desperately need, need something like that in case this issue arises again because that was really bad. So Dave, I have to share with you that I was working on a musical at a theater that regularly closed the fire curtain. I can't remember why, if they did it every night or, or if they just did it regularly to test it. And in this musical, um, we had decided to place a UPM-1P as a little stage monitor, just kind of hidden, uh, propped up as like an infill, but it was right under the fire curtain. 
And one day when I was working on that show, I forgot to strike it. And that was the day when they closed the fire curtain and it crushed that UPM 1P. And if you know how much Meyer Sound speakers cost, uh, <laughs> they brought that in and showed it to me totally destroyed. And I was like, oh my God, am I getting fired now? And luckily I had a really cool boss and somehow he worked it out with management and I didn't get fired. But that was an amazing moment where I was like, A, I'm never going to do that again. And B, oh, now I can see inside of a UPM 1P and see how it works. Uh, I'm actually impressed that that it was the fire curtains that won instead of the UPM. Because <laughs> my, my <laughs> sound speakers are so loud. <laughs> they are. And I think it stopped it from closing all the way. All right, Dave. So we've talked a lot about the sound bullet, but I'm sure you have some other tools in your work bag. Do you want to pick um, one or two things that are either special to you or unique um, you can tell us about? All of the standard ones, you know, like you know, like a, a, a Leatherman, a whole bunch of Sharpies, and uh, you know, have like a, a socket tester. Um, well, tell me about you know, that. Which what socket tester do you have? So I have the UK version of it. Uh, you know, you can find. Uh, lots of different ones, uh, but uh, it's basically it's basically like a, a little socket tester that's got three lights on it, and if they all turn green, basically it means that your line is uh, safe to be used. And if one of the lights doesn't go on, um, you know it will start to beep in a funny way, which will alert you not to use the not to use that socket uh, or that outlet. Have you ever run into any that are bad or have faults? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it was like generator uh, related stuff. I was working at festivals, and the, I think that the yeah there was something going on with the three phase wiring. And do you test every outlet before you plug something in, or do you wait till there's a problem and then you use the socket tester? If I have a heavily populated power drop stage, uh, I would probably do that just in case, you know, because if, you know, like the, the more items you have, the more you've got the demand to test them. Also, if, you ha if I have time to do it, I would always test them. You know, like I would, you know, like if I have, you know, five hours of setup, I would definitely test every single thing that I see move or be still. I, I always carry with me, uh, it's basically um, a, a cutting mat, you know, like the ones you would use to, to cut pieces of things with, with your Stalin knife. It's made of something soft so that you can use a knife, a sharp knife on it to cut through things yeah. and it won't cut whatever's underneath it. So I have, I have found one that is like A4 shaped and I have uh, uh, riveted uh, um, something that I've recycled from a, from a clipboard. It's basically like a little uh, spring-loaded pliery thing that's like on the top of a, uh, of, a, of, a, of a clipboard so that I can attach my sheets of like specs and stuff onto it. But then... In the back of it is where the magic happens. That's where I make all of my labels for XLRs, for DI boxes. So essentially, I just like, I just like put a big piece of a big piece of tape on on the on on the back of it, and I just write uh, you know a sentence that says like DI one, DI two, or DI three, and then I with with, with my knife I just cut up all, all, all little bits. Oh uh, yeah, that's so much cleaner and faster than yeah, you know yeah. tearing off pieces of tape by hand. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I find that it, it does take a good five minutes to find a piece of equipment that you don't want to like cut on, uh -huh. <laughs> you know. And uh, s sometimes uh, PA companies owners don't like you to use the inside of a, a flight case lid to do that, you know. Sure. Um, and that's and, why and I, I carry a tiny little pair of scissors, like from a sewing kit, and those are cool. But then you still have to like pull the tape off, cut it 
put it on the thing and then write on the thing, and that usually looks kind of messy. Yeah, I always find that a lot of sound engineers, you know, and this is something I used to do as well, they will just like uh, tape an XLR connector like five times, you know, and then like write something onto it. Uh-huh. Uh, and then and then what happens is that if you're, if you're, if that cable then gets put into a cable trunk and it goes straight into the cable pegs and it doesn't get deprepped or like cleaned, uh, then, you know, it'll go onto, onto, like, onto the next gig. And then, you know, you, 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 you don't really have a lot of times you know, a lot of time to take the tape off and put your own on. So essentially, you end up with this like really thick layer of tape on the <laughs> on the barrel of, of an XLR. <laughs> yeah. So so what 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 I find really good is to just have, have little squares that say you know acoustic guitar one, and they just like stick them onto the XLR. And they are like, extremely easy to come off oh, when you de rig. Right. Okay. You know. Um, you know. So I, essentially, if I have a tiny bit more time on a loadout, I can actually keep my cables ni- nice and tidy you know what nice and clean because mm-hmm. i can i can take the you know the, the little squares of tape off and because the gig, gigs are quite hot they will actually sort of like start to lift off a little bit sure on, on the edges so that's quite easy to get them off yeah so i also like to to have with me an, an, an angle finder uh, which helps me to to work out what angle i actually need to set up my speakers at if i'm you know deploying you know side fields or uh, in fields and Dave, what is one book that has been immensely helpful to you? The one by Bob McCarthy, obviously the the System Design and Optimization Green Book. Oh, I haven't heard um, of it. Oh, you haven't <laughs> read of it? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> when, when, when you were asking me what changed my life, you know, what, what changed my career and stuff like that, going to the Marilyn Van Veem course has been one of the most sort of like life-changing things because I, I thought that I sort of like new stuff, you know, I thought I had got to a point where maybe I just need to learn what's the latest, like, what's the latest, latest technology or what's the, you know, what is AES or like, you know, what is Dante, you know, that, that I thought that that's all I had to grasp, you know, that's all I had to learn. But in fact, after going to, to the Merlin Van Veem course, which I'm pretty sure you have attended to, I have, yeah, uh, as well, yeah. Um, so that's been one of the, the, you know, the most like enlightening courses I've ever done. Uh, so where is the best place for people to follow your work? If you just go on Facebook and type Sonect Audio, uh, you you will find me there. Uh, my personal Facebook is called David Barker. Uh, you know, if you want to get that intimate. Uh, also, there's a website called uh, SonectAudio.com. That's where you can find, uh, you know, information about the sound bullet. Well, David Scortecchia, thank you so much for joining me on Sound Design Live. Oh, that's has been a, an absolute pleasure. Sound Design. So to enter the Sound Bullet giveaway, go to SoundDesignLive.com. There's a search bar at the bottom of every page. Just search for the word Sound Bullet. You'll find the interview with David and also the Sound Bullet giveaway. Sound Design Live is supported by Ross, Learn Stage Lighting, Scott, Pedro, Bob, Martin, Roadie Free Radio, Joel, Ellis, Jim, Sinqui, Terry, Nicholas, Kuba, Chris, DC Sound Op, and Dave. You can start supporting Sound Design Live today for as little as $1 over at patreon.com slash sounddesignlive.
wish it to exist. exist.